Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So here's Jacob. He's afraid. He's discouraged. He thinks that Laban's going to rip his wives away from him and say, they're not your wives, they're my daughters. Oh, those, those children are mine too, by the way. You have nothing, so leave. He was afraid of that, so he encourages himself in that fear by saying, the God of my father. See, when he said the God of my father, he's talking about Isaac. And so he was saying here, as my father Isaac dwelt in a foreign place, Gerar, I dwell now in a foreign place, Haran. As my father Isaac was in Gerar, and God blessed my father in Gerar, so God has blessed me in Haran. As Abimelech, the Philistine, became my father Isaac's enemy, so Laban has become my enemy. As God protected my father Isaac and appeared to him at night in a dream in Genesis 26, 24, when God said to Isaac, fear not, for I am with thee. So God appeared to me, Jacob would say at night, in a dream saying, I am with thee. See? I mean, this was a tragic situation for Jacob, such deep hatred against him in his own family on the verge of turning violent. And yet we see Jacob setting all that situation on one side of the balance and saying, okay, I've got a really bad situation here. I do. I have a brother and I have nephews that hate me to the point of on the verge of violence of wanting to take all my flocks, my wives, my children away from me and send me out into the desert alone. This is a really bad situation. He could think of all the details. And he puts that all on one side. He puts that all on one side of the balance. There's a balance. He puts it all on one side of the balance. And then on the other side of the balance, he just has one statement. God has been with me. God has been with me. God is with me. God will be with me. And now he says that statement of God's presence, it outweighs all the details of this tragic situation I'm in right now. See, that's how he encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, as Jacob's describing to his wives the deal he made for the animals, you know, the animal deal between Jacob and signed by Jacob and Laban, the animal deal, the animal deal that he made with their father, and how he says, and he says, but your father changed my wages 10 times. It's interesting when he talks about that deal, you know, he just read about, he said, um, if he said thus, you know, Remember, he said, if he said thus, like the animals are going to turn out this way, then they'd all turn out that way. If he said thus, that if the animals turn out this way, they're yours, then all the animals turn out that It's interesting that he said that if he said thus. If he said thus. Now the question is, who set the original terms for the animal deal between Jacob and Laban? 
Jacob did, didn't he? He did. In the previous chapter, in chapter 30, Genesis 30, verse 31, he said, what shall I give thee? This was Laban speaking. What shall I give thee? And then it says, and Jacob said, you know, you won't give me anything. And he went through the details of the deal. See, Jacob said. Jacob set the terms of the animal deal that he had with Laban. So if that's true, then why in verse 8, when he's talking about Laban, he said, if he said thus. It's all this, if he said thus. It was because Laban stepped in, he changed the deal. He changed the deal. He set new terms. And this is what Jacob meant when he says in verse 7, your fathers deceived me and changed my wages 10 times. He changed the deal. Okay. Now, when Jacob said in verse 9, God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me, Laban might have said, that's not fair. That's my cattle. It's not fair to take my cattle away and give it to Jacob. But you see, he doesn't have the right view. And when we give to the Lord's work, we think, well, we're giving what we have to God. And the greatest time of giving in the history of the world was when King Solomon was king, and all the people gave all this for the building of the temple, magnificent temple, amassed the greatest amount of gold that's ever been amassed before. And King Solomon put it right when he said to Israel about this giving for God's house. And he said in 1 Chronicles 29.14, 1 Chronicles 29.14, Solomon says, who am I? Who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? And he's praying to God. For all things come of thee, and of thine own have thy given thee. Have we given thee? See, Solomon was saying, who are we to give to God? God owns everything. All things are made by God, so all we've done is just taken what's God's and given it to God. That's silly. That's silly, you know? Sort of like a little child. Like Kaylee would come to this Clint and say, Dad, can I have some money? <laughs> and so Clint would give him some money, and then she goes off and buys him a gift. He says, look, you know, let's Clint's money. That's the way it is with us. It's the way it is with us. It was Clint's money bought the gift. It's God's, and we go give it to God. But you know what? Clint would be happy to see what Kaylee decided to go and buy him. And God's happy when we give to, when we just sees what we decide to give him, even though it's his anyways. Now, Jacob goes on to explain to his wives how God took away their father's cattle and gave it to him, see? So he sits his wives down out there in the field, and he starts to tell them what he saw in this dream. He says, you know, in verse 10, it came to pass at the time when the cattle conceived, I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream. Behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring-straked, speckled, and bristled. So Jacob is really telling his wives. He said, um, you know, all that uh, rod stuff, you know, with the you know, carving and holding and all those maneuvers, that was actually pretty foolish. <laughs> I was saying to him, you know, because actually the cattle had already conceived before they got to the watering troughs where I did all my maneuvers. And I saw that in the dream. Okay? So in verse 11, look at verse 11. What does Jacob say that he did with his eyes? What does it say? It's really a simple question. What does Jacob say he did with his eyes in verse 11? Yeah, that's it. He lifted up my eyes. He says, I lifted up my eyes. That's a very important statement. It's a very important statement when, when Jacob says, I lifted up my eyes, because that's an issue for Jacob. It's an issue. And we need to see what's really happening here. How many times do we read about this sort of like looking, lifting up the eyes or seeing? How many times? First in verse 10, where he says, I lift up my eyes, right? Then in verse 10, he says, and saw, too. 
Then in verse, 13, verse 10, he says, and behold, three. And then in verse, uh, verse 12, God says to him, lift up now thine eyes, four. And, and, and then in verse 12 again, and see, five. See, there's an emphasis here. It's like five times. Why is all this emphasis on lifting the eyes, on seeing and beholding? Because it shows us that Jacob was, it was hard for Jacob to lift up his eyes and see this. Because why? Jacob was fixated on his idea. Jacob had an idea. Well, he was smart at Jacob. He was an inventor, right, Clint? He invented these rods idea, this maneuver, and he was sure, and he was stuck on that. And it was just hard for him to turn away from his brilliant invention of his rod maneuvers and see it had nothing to do with the reason why the cattle came out in his favor. So God had to say to Jacob in verse 12, Jacob, lift up now thine eyes and see. And Jacob had to do that. And he says in verse 10, I lift up my eyes and saw and behold. See, it's really a surprise for Jacob to see his rod maneuvers were just stupid. That's what he saw. It's a picture of us in life. We think that we're all, man, we got all these, everything, we're so blessed because oh, we're, we're smart in our efforts. And God is saying to us, like he says, Jacob, lift up your eyes and see. see. It's God who's blessing you. We get all caught up with what we're doing and fail to see God is taking care of us. Now, Jacob tells in verse 11 that this angel, this angel spoke to him. See what it says? Verse 11, an angel, see what it said? Is that an, the angel of God. So it's an angel. Okay, it's an angel. It's an angel. It says it's an angel. It's an angel. But this is a special angel. Why? Because in verse 11 it says, and the angel of God spake unto me. So the angel of God is speaking to him. So it was the angel of God that was speaking to Jacob in, in the dream. And then the angel speaks. So we hear what the angel says in verse 12. And then in verse 13, the angel identifies himself. And how does the angel identify himself? He says, I'm God. I am God. The angel says, I am God. The angel, that's what it says. The angel says, I am the God of Bethel. So the angel is God. So in other words, this is not a created angel. This is not a created angel here. This angel is God. That means God appeared to Jacob as an angel. And this was Jehovah Jesus. Jehovah Jesus appeared to Jacob as an angel. Now later, God would appear to man as a man. What holiday is that? That's right. <laughs> right around the corner, right? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. When, in John 1, 1, what would happen is that it was explained, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was God. But then, down in verse 14, the Word was made flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we beheld, we saw. His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here God appears in an angel, that's the Lord Jesus, that's Jehovah Jesus, appearing to Jacob as an angel, it's the same Hebrew word, malik, malak, which was used to, the, 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 the malak, the angel, that's the word that was used, that stopped Abraham's hand when he was about to sacrifice Isaac, when it says in Genesis twenty two eleven, and the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he said, lay not thy hand upon the left. Okay. Jacob spoke of this angel. He spoke about the angel as he is getting close to death. In, in Genesis 48, 16, Jacob said, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and so forth. So this is the angel that redeemed him. Okay? Uh, Moses spoke about the angel 
in Exodus 3.2, the burning bush. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. It's Jehovah Jesus. It's Jehovah Jesus appearing as an angel, later appears as a man. Now, the first word out of the angel's mouth, out of really God's mouth, was very encouraging. What was the first word out of the angel's mouth to Jacob? Verse 11. What? Jacob. 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 That was very encouraging. You know, the angel calls his name. He says, he knows my name. That's nice. Yeah? So encouraging. I mean, can't you just see Jacob saying to himself, he knows my name. He called me by my name. I just heard my name. That's so encouraging. You know, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ said that he would do with his sheep. In John 10, John 10, great chapter, three wonderful parables about shepherd. First parable in John 10, 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not in by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, that seems a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, the sheep hear his voice, he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now, this is really an intimate scene between the shepherd and the sheep here, where the Lord Jesus is identifying six marks of a genuine shepherd. The six marks of a genuine shepherd are, first, the shepherd enters in to be among his sheep. That's what you see there in John 10, 1 through 4. The shepherd enters into this place to be among the sheep. The shepherd is with his sheep. Second mark of a genuine shepherd is that the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. They hear the shepherd's voice. The third mark of a genuine shepherd is that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. They recognize it. And the fourth mark, which is really one we're centered on here now, is that the shepherd calls his sheep by name. And then the fifth mark is that the shepherd goes before the sheep to make sure it's safe for the sheep so the shepherd doesn't stand behind the sheep and drive them out of the enclosure there, but the shepherd goes in front of the sheep to lead them out, which brings them to the last, the sixth mark of the genuine shepherd. The sheep follow the shepherd. See, yesterday, Stanley came over, time for them to go. Lori, she calls them by name. She calls her kids by name. You know, I was so impressed. She said, Kaylee Rose. I didn't know her last name. It's middle name. Was worth, but anyways, that means I'm talking to you. Anyway, so she calls them children by name. That's what the shepherd does. The shepherd doesn't come to the sheep and say, okay, all you sheep, let's move it. You know, rawhide. You know, let's get going here. No, the shepherd calls them by name. Oh, you know, Kaylee, don't be dawdling back there. Come on, you know. See, sheep need this. Sheep need care. Sheep need individual care. And the, when the shepherd calls each, each sheep by name, the shepherd is expressing individual care for each sheep. That means that the shepherd is noticing each sheep individually. That means that the shepherd is guiding each sheep individually. And the Lord Jesus, he uses this parable of the shepherd and the sheep to explain to us how he cares for his people. He cares for his people. This 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. So he says that in Ezekiel 34, 31. Ezekiel 34, 31, where he says to Israel, God says, and ye are my flock, the flock of my pasture are men, and I'm your God, saith the Lord God. See, 
So as a genuine shepherd, Jehovah Jesus called Jacob by his name in verse 11, just like it says in John 10, 3, he calleth his own sheep by name. And responding to the genuine shepherds, Jacob, now he hears a voice, and he knows the voice. And so in verse 11, Jacob responds, here am I. That's John 10, 3. The sheep hear his voice, John 10, 4. The sheep follow him, but they know his voice. Now, verse 12, the angel tells Jacob, he says, lift up now thine eyes and see, and the rams, or their respectful grizzled, for I have seen all that Jacob and Laban doeth unto thee. See, the angel told Jacob, lift up your eyes and see. See what? See how God is protecting Jacob from Laban. See how God is giving to Jacob Laban's cattle. See how God is giving to Jacob mercy. See, God said that he would be with Jacob and take care of Jacob. That was meaning that God would be merciful to Jacob because Jacob didn't deserve any of this, that's for sure. As a matter of fact, when Jacob thought back to Bethel, when God promised to take care of Jacob, bring him back home, Jacob would say, boy, back there in Bethel, God promised me mercy. Back there in Bethel, that was mercy promised. And then as Jacob sees in the dream that God was transferring all of Laban's cattle to him, he would say, oh, you know what I see right now? I see God performing the mercy promised. That's a wonderful title for verse 12. Verse 12, you can hang over that verse there. God performing the mercy promised. That's what Jacob saw in his dream in verse 12. He saw God performing the mercy promised. That's a very important phrase because that's exactly what we see that God does. He performs the mercy promised. God promised mercy. God performs mercy just as he promised. Who in Scripture said God performed the mercy promised? has to do a little bit with Christmas. Hint. Okay? It was Zacharias. Zacharias, who was the father of John the Baptist, and when he said that his son was going to be the prophet that was going to prepare Israel for the coming of the Lord Jesus, it says in Luke 1.67, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake, by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all them that, that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham. See, Zacharias, when he saw his son, he said, I got a son, and my son, because he was Mary couldn't t- talk until this, he said, is it my son is going to prepare Israel for the coming of the Messiah. Then he said, Mercy promised, performing mercy promised. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is a fulfillment of prophecy. What is the Christmas fulfillment of the prophecy? The performance of the mercy promised. What is the promise? The mercy that was promised in Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Government shall be upon his shoulders, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Mercy promised, what is? Luke 2, 6. So it was that while they were there, they should accomplish, she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn. Okay, performing, mercy promised. Now, at the end of verse 12, God told Jacob, I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. Now, that's in the present tense. 
That's in the present tense. It, 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 it really, it's not the way it's written. Anyway, it's in the present tense. So he really it's saying like this, I am seeing all that Laban is doing unto thee. Or if you like, that also means he saw it, he's seeing it, he will see it. In other words, God was saying to Jacob that God had an active eye on Jacob. God was seeing what was happening to Jacob in real time. And that's, a, that's a good for us to remember, that God works in the present, not in the past in our lives. He sees what's happening to us right now. And when, now we see in verse 13, where God says, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, where thou vowest to vow unto me, now arise, get thee out from this land, return to the land of thy kindred. God has chosen for himself here a new name. Whoa, there's a new name for God. We haven't seen this name before. God says, I take this new name for myself. I am the God of Bethel. This we call himself. I am the God of Bethel. So that's strange. Bethel didn't even exist as a place. It was called Luz until, you know, Jacob was out there with the population of one. <laughs> we have a new city called Bethel, right? In fact, that population of one left. So that's a population of zero. <laughs> but God says, I'm the God of that city. I'm the God of Bethel. Oh, okay. Actually, God's the God of the whole earth. He's a God of the whole universe. So why does he call himself the God of, of the place that has population zero? Bethel. Yeah? Why would he call himself? Why would God call himself the God of Bethel? Uh, what makes Bethel so important to God compared to any other place on the earth? Why doesn't he call himself the God of Maui? That'd be nice. You know? <laughs> but Bethel out there in the middle of like El Centro. Anyway, what's so important about Bethel for God to say, I'm the God of Bethel? Well, he explains. God explains. He says in verse 13, I'm the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowest to vow unto me. See, that's the important part about Bethel. What made Bethel so important to God for God to call himself the God of Bethel because it was at Bethel where Jacob anointed the pillar with oil and made the vow to God. Just because Jacob made a vow to God in Bethel and Jacob anointed a pillar in Bethel, that was what made Bethel so special to God that God decides to call himself the God of Bethel. I mean, God did some amazing things at Bethel you know, that God had never done before. And even though God did these great things at Bethel, God did not say in verse 13, I'm the God of Bethel where I did an amazing thing of appearing to you and an amazing thing of showing you a ladder from heaven to earth where I showed you angels going up and down that ladder. He didn't say that. God did not say in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel where I made some amazing promises to you to be with you. See, all of those statements, which were not made, but if they had been made, they would talk about what God did. See, all those statements is what God did not say, because all those statements that God did not say refer to God, what God did at Bethel. See, all those statements that God did not say put the emphasis on what God did. And this is what's so amazing about verse 13, because God didn't say in verse 13, I am the God who did all these things. But what he did say in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. That's amazing. That's amazing. God calls himself the God of Bethel because of what Jacob did at Bethel, not because of what God did at Bethel. Mm. 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. You're invited to join the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for the second annual Taste of Creation Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction. It's Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m. This benefit dinner is in support of the Life and Light Foundation Ministries of the Creation and Earth History Museum, Israel Restoration Ministries, and the Friendship with God Radio Ministry. Come experience a fantastic food-themed night at the Creation Museum, and we'll have great guest speakers with Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Dan Sered, director of Israel's Jews for Jesus. We'll have an amazing night of auction items, so if you would like to attend, or if you're a local business or person that would like to donate and sponsor with a product or service in support of the Creation Museum auction on Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m., then call us with your support or to reserve a seat. 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or creationsd.org. creationsd.org.